Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast. The show about food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor. I study nutrition, and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. So green powders are everywhere and I'm often asked about whether people should be consuming green powders, dehydrated vegetables, sometimes with fruits in them and other added multivitamins to their daily routine, something that you have in the morning uh, as a, as a top-up uh, or in some cases used as a replacement. Um, and they seem to be really well marketed and really, really well convincing, uh, to be quite frank. So we're going to do a deep dive today about the science behind the claims that some of these companies make, whether green powders can help with immunity, gut health, weight loss, energy, whether these powders actually have significant amounts of nutrients in them that are, importantly here, absorbable by the body and actually have a measurable impact on your health, whether that be the quantities of nutrients that you can measure in your blood work and whether over time, if you consume these green powders or other powdered vegetable supplements, whether that can actually translate into tangible health outcomes. Now, before we get started, I just want to caveat that I drink a green powder every morning. I've done so for 15 years. I started drinking it when I was going through my own health concerns, my own health issues. I did it as a way to do something very simple every single day that I thought might have an impact on my health. I did it without looking at a single study as well. And I've maintained said habit throughout this entire period of time without really understanding whether or not it's actually making a difference. I've convinced myself that it is part of my routine and I enjoy it. I mean, I wouldn't say I enjoy the taste of it particularly, but it is something that I identify with every single morning as somebody who drinks a green powder. So this podcast episode was a really interesting point for me to reflect on a habit that I haven't really done a deep dive into myself. Now, there are varying qualities of powders out there. So the first thing to recognize is that this is a very complicated topic to discuss. And I'm certainly not calling out specific companies for claims or anything. I want to equip you with the power, the tools, the insight to determine whether you want to have any one of these supplement powders yourself and whether you feel it is worth the investment because the investment can be considerable. By the end of this podcast episode, I hope to have empowered you to understand the limitations of the research surrounding these particular class of supplements, whether this is something that you choose to invest in, plus my personal opinion on whether people should be consuming green powders or not. And again, this is something that after doing all this research for the podcast episode, 
I will maintain taking a cream powder myself, but I will be looking at specific processing methods that I have now discovered are beneficial and preferable over others. And also I'm equipped now to determine which companies are supplying a higher quality product as well. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Remember, you can also watch this on YouTube as I explain certain things. There are a few graphics that we're going to be sharing as well on YouTube that you'll only be able to see there. You can watch it for free and you can subscribe there and hit the notification bell. It's one of the no-cost ways of supporting The Doctor's Kitchen. Plus, you can subscribe for free to our newsletters, Eat, Listen, Read, where I share something to eat, something to listen to, something to read every single week. Plus, our Seasonal Sundays newsletter, where we do a deep dive into ingredients that are seasonal, and we talk about the culinary history, the cuisines that they're typically found in, as well as the nutritional medicine benefits that you will learn about as well as the study references. I really hope you enjoy that. For now, onto my podcast about whether green powders are worth it. Before we get started, here is a quick word from the people who make this podcast possible. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Before you buy a dehydrated green powder, which is a supplement made from drying fruit and vegetables, you need to listen to this. I've got three key takeaways from this deep dive into green powder supplements. Number one, the research surrounding dehydrated powders is actually quite promising. There are lots of different studies that show that they can increase plasma levels of certain nutrients and phytonutrients. So plasma levels being the levels that you find in blood work. I didn't think that it was that was actually a thing, but there are certain health markers that can be improved by consuming dehydrated green drinks, which include inflammation and oxidative stress. So if those are some of your health goals, then it can potentially be worth having a green powder. Number two, the products out there are a little bit shaky, and that's because they don't reveal things like the dehydration process, the processing that goes into the actual products. There's a huge amount of variability across different product ranges. Some of them have tons of ingredients, others just have a few. So 
when it comes to choosing a brand out there, it can be a little bit difficult, but I do have some tips for you at the end of this deep dive. Number three, the first thing that you should be thinking about is focusing on adding fruits and vegetables in their whole minimally processed form to your diet before even getting into that murky world of supplements. But there are a few things that I would suggest before you buy a green powder if you are still interested. Number one, check the ingredient list and less is more. So you want to have less ingredients in the green powder because you want the adequate dose of those individual ingredients to be high rather than a huge list of 70 or 80 different ingredients where they only put a fraction of those individual ingredients into the mixture. Number two, I would avoid proprietary blends where they don't reveal what's actually in the ingredients list because you have no idea what you're consuming. Number three, avoid added ingredients that are unnecessary, things like sugars or sugar alternatives like stevia and all the rest of it because you don't need those. Uh, And caffeine, you don't want caffeine in that because you can get caffeine from other products. And if you want to have a caffeine pill or you want to drink coffee instead, then just get your caffeine from that. You don't need caffeine in a dehydrated green powder. And number four, I would check the podcast that I did on supplements not to waste your money on because I would say before you even consider a green powder, there are a few that you want to include in your diet. So vitamin D and K2, omega-3 and uh, complex B vitamins or B vitamin complex and protein as well. I would prefer people concentrate on those supplements before you start adding a green powder to your diet because the simple fact is there is a lot more evidence for those supplements than there are for green powders. So with that being said, let's dive into a bit more detail about some of the specific outcomes that a lot of these green powders are claiming that they can offer solutions to. I do want to add one caveat here. I myself do consume a green powdered product. I've been doing so for around 14 years. It's part of my daily morning routine. I, In all honesty, I didn't really realize why I was consuming it every single day. I thought it would just be a healthy thing to do that I started when I had my own health concerns and my own heart condition. And I've just maintained that routine, even in the face of lack of evidence. And now actually doing this deep dive, I'm actually kind of bullish on me continuing with my green powder in the morning routine. Um, but we're going to discuss, with that caveat in mind, we're going to discuss a couple of things today. The science behind the claim, so whether green powders can actually help with things like immunity, energy, uh, weight loss, uh, other elements of health. There are lots of different claims that a lot of these green powder companies uh like to put on their websites and and the packets, Um, whether they can replace eating vegetables and is drinking a green powder equivalent to having vegetables. A lot of people seem to think that if you have your green powder, you don't necessarily need to have your greens. Um, Issues with green powder formulation and what you need to be aware of before buying your own green powder, whatever that might be. So let's dive into the science behind the claims. Actually, before we go into that, drying is one of the most ancient processes that we have for preservation of foods. It's a technique that is across the world. Lots of different cultures drive their food as a way of preserving them so they can prolong their shelf life. So it's not like we're doing anything particularly novel, but the three 
things that anyone should ask themselves when doing this dive into the science behind the claims is, number one, can fruit and vegetable powders retain nutrients as a result of that drying method? Number two, are those nutrients, if they are retained, are they absorbable by the body, i.e. can they be measured in blood work that we might do on an individual? And number three, even if they do have a marked impact on the blood level of certain nutrients, do they improve people's health? Let's dive into the first question. Do they retain nutrients when drying? In short, drying fruits and vegetables does appear to retain some of those nutrients. They preserve fiber, they preserve certain essential nutrients and certain beneficial plant compounds, which are one of the reasons why increasing your fruit and vegetable consumption can be so helpful. So there is some promising research there. There will be inevitable nutrient loss as a result of the fact that dehydrating is a process. And whether you're steaming, sauteing, boiling, it is a process and that will lead to loss of the initial nutrients that you find in the starting ingredient. That's just a given. Uh, and the reason why is because the process will change the attributes of that starting ingredient. It disrupts that food matrix. It will cause nutrient loss through leaching into water, for example. Um, but that isn't to say that it's any particularly, it's not particularly different to the way in which you lose nutrients when you, you saute or steam food. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you've lost all nutritional value. There is preservation of things like fiber and other essential nutrients. There was a study that analyzed the composition of fruit and vegetable powders. And they actually found that drying reduced the content of vitamin C and antioxidant capacity by 14%. But the powder still retained considerable levels of vitamin C. So actually, when you're dehydrating something and it only goes down by 14%, that's pretty good, actually, because uh, you're expecting loss anyway. Um, they actually looked at potassium, calcium, magnesium, iron, and zinc. And the equivalent of 49% of the reference nutrient intake for adults was preserved. So the authors for this particular study that was in uh, the International Journal of Food Science concluded that the drying process retained significant nutritional value. So that's a big thumbs up for uh, drying as a process and potentially dehydrated green powders. Phytochemical content. So these are the specific types of plant chemicals that you find in something like broccoli or carrots or beets, uh, you'll find different types of uh, polyphenols. Uh, you'll find sulforaphane, you'll find carotenoids. There's a whole bunch of different, uh, thousands of different phytochemicals. So beyond those vitamins and minerals that we just talked about being preserved, we also eat plants with these health-promoting compounds. And there was a study looking specifically at phytochemicals in powdered vegetables, and they actually proposed that broccoli and white cabbage actually retained a lot of those phenolic compounds uh, and sulforaphane, which is having a bit of a moment right now. Sulforaphane is this strong anti-inflammatory compound that you find in broccoli sprouts. That's where you find it highest, but you also find it in lots of different brassica vegetables. So cauliflower, broccoli, uh, rocket or arugula for the Americans. Um, and in the study, they actually found that drying reduced the content of sulforaphane uh, by about 60% in, in broccoli. But when they did it in white cabbage, they had a total flavonoid content up to 1.4 to 2.7 times higher than fresh. So in this study, 
weirdly, the content of flavonoids actually increased in white cabbage powders. The powders across the board still retain significant levels of sulforaphane, uh, but the, the the white cabbage powders actually had a higher amount. So that's actually another big win, a big thumbs up for those powders that are dehydrated using those specific ingredients. Um, and they, the authors concluded that white cabbage and broccoli can successfully be transformed into powdered products that might be used to provide additional nutritional value whilst contributing to sustainable development. So again, another another big thumbs up. So in terms of answering the question, are nutrients retained by drying? The answer is yes, but to varying degrees depending on the ingredient that you're using. So number one, are nutrients retained? The answer is yes. Number two, are they absorbed by the body? This is very important, obviously. Uh, we're talking really about bioavailability. The proportion that is absorbed by the body is an important uh, step between nutrient content within the fresh food or the dehydrated food and the potential health effect as well. Overall, the research finds that fruit and vegetable powders tend to increase people's levels of certain vitamins and beneficial plant compounds like carotenoids. So there's a couple of studies I just wanted to mention here. In 2021, there was a study on 18 participants. So again, small study. And they found that six capsules of fruit, berry, and vegetable juice powder concentrates increased plasma concentration levels of carotenoids, vitamin C, and vitamin E. So that that's that's a, a, a positive uh, uh, marker for, for dehydrated powders. In 2011, there was a systematic review of 22 reports that found that daily consumption of fruit and vegetable supplements, including, so this is a bit of a caveat here, liquid as well as juice powder concentrate. So we're, we're blending two different types of supplements here. Um, Increase the serum concentrations of, again, beta-carotene, so a type of carotenoid, vitamin C, E, and folate. And they suggested, the authors here, that mixed fruit and vegetable supplements produced from plants may serve as a complement, I just want to underline the word complement, to the habitual diet, particularly for people who are struggling to get enough fruit and vegetables. So again, another thumbs up for uh, for uh, uh, veg powders. I specifically wanted to look at magnesium because magnesium is uh, a, a very commonly found uh, micronutrient in greens. Um, it's the chlorophyll molecule at the center of which is magnesium. A lot of people get their magnesium from dark green leafy vegetables, for example. I didn't see any studies looking specifically at magnesium and its bioavailability from green powders. And that's something that I'd be interested in uh, myself. But that being said, there does appear to be some evidence that when you do consume a, a powdered uh, fruit and vegetable uh, supplement, it is absorbed by the body. What about health effects? So number three, does it improve people's health markers? And to answer this question, you have to break it out into various forms. So are we looking at inflammation and oxidative stress? Are we looking at gut health? Are we looking at uh, energy and weight loss? So let's break it out. Looking at inflammation and oxidative stress, if I consume, this is the question we're trying to answer, if I consume a powdered supplement every day for 30 days, does that mean I can reduce markers of inflammation in my body? So there was a, a randomized control trial involving 42 premenopausal women that found that an encapsulated fruit, 
berry and vegetable juice powder supplement reduced markers of inflammation and oxidative stress and improved markers of microcirculation compared with placebo. That was in the British Journal of Nutrition 2013. In a systematic review, a different paper, consumption of fruit and vegetable juice powder concentrate was associated with improved markers of oxidative stress. And another randomized control looking at 101 heavy smokers. So this is a specific subset, specific cohort of people who are heavy smokers. They found that a mixed juice and vegetable powder concentrate improved markers of oxidative status. So there is some evidence, not great if I'm honest, looking at those studies, but there is some evidence that it can reduce inflammation. Whether or not that has an impact on things like arthritis uh, or fatigue or brain fog or uh, uh, gut uh, health, you can't really decipher from those particular studies. But maybe this is something you want to think about if you identify someone that needs to reduce their inflammation for whatever reason. I mentioned gut health. There are a couple of studies looking at gut health. So uh, the question we're asking here is, can a dehydrated supplement improve my microbes? There's a couple of studies. 2021, there was an RCT, so a randomized control trial, looking at 57 overweight women, and they found that a dried fruit and vegetable concentrate altered the intestinal microbiota. So it changed favorably the microbes that you find from their intestines. They found that it reduced the abundance of bacteroides, so uh, a microbe that is typically associated with negative health effects and increased fecal butyrate. So butyrate is one of these short chain fatty acids that often gets a lot of attention. It's the product of uh, metabolism of lots of different intestinal microbes and its abundance or its increased uh, amount is associated with beneficial health effects. So you want to see a higher fecal butyrate. That's the thinking anyway. I'm sure it's going to be a lot more complicated than just simply measuring a metabolite. But at least in this study, they found that uh, there was an improvement in uh, what we typically look at as a favorable pattern of intestinal microbes. Um, they didn't have any other uh, effects on other markers like blood lipids or glucose or immune parameters. And that was also a funded study, as a lot of these studies are, unfortunately. We'll get to the caveats uh, in a little while. In another trial, looking in this particular case at freeze-dried cranberry supplements. So freeze-drying is a process that we're going to come back to because that appears to be more favorable when it comes to preservation of nutrients. But they looked at a cranberry powder and a placebo over five days, and they again found patterns of microbes that were favorable after just five days of consumption. Um, so it, it does appear in certain small studies that polyphenols and dietary fiber from these dehydrated powders can potentially be uh, positive. It can reach the low intestinal tract uh, and it can modulate your microbes in a favorable manner. Uh, where you you know you get increased uh, production of certain short chain fatty acids like butyrate, um, and it can potentially reduce inflammation as well. So that is a potential kind of thumbs up for dehydrated powders when it comes to gut health. What about energy and weight loss? Um, there isn't convincing evidence, and it kind of stands to reason. I wouldn't think of a mechanism behind why 
drinking a, a green powder can reduce your weight. Um, you know, it really comes down to the the sort of the, the higher level order things um, that you'd be consuming to, for it to have a significant impact. So I, I haven't found any convincing evidence around weight loss or energy levels. There was a, a pilot study published in 2009 that found no significant effect of a fruit and vegetable powder on body weight. Another small trial published in 2004 uh, that found participants who were given green powder daily for 12 weeks reported higher energy levels. So that was perceived higher energy levels than those receiving placebo, but the trend wasn't even significant. Um, and I think there is probably a greater uh, uh, issue around this of the the placebo effect. You know, if if I'm giving you a daily green powdered drink, you're going to feel like you're doing something pretty healthy, particularly if you don't like the taste of it or it tastes like it works, um, even though it might not be having any impact. It might, you know, uh, actually have an impact on what you choose today to do that day because you identify as that healthy individual who has a green juice every single day in the morning that might peter down into certain other health effects. It's a, a bit of an open box, um, but there's a lot more research that needs to be done in this field. So, you know, to recap, there is some evidence that having a powder can preserve considerable levels of nutrients and those can be absorbed into your bloodstream to, to actually have a, a measurable effect on your vitamin and polyphenol status. And there is scanty evidence that this translates into certain health goals. Uh, but the reality is we need a lot more evidence around this. On the basis of everything I've just said, you might find yourself thinking, okay, it's kind of worth the investment. Um, maybe I would like to try it for four to eight weeks. Maybe this is something that is a nice little top up. But there, I do have a lot of issues with green powders for a number of reasons. And I... I think there are five things that you should know uh, about your chosen powder before buying it. Um, number one, everything that I've just talked about in terms of those studies, they're really, really poor quality studies. Um, there's lots of issues. There's huge amount of variability and not just like in terms of the dosing of the different powders, but what they actually put into the powders, huge, huge amounts of variability. So very, very hard to actually determine which powder and in which amounts amounts to a health effect. So that's the first thing. Number two, a lot of these studies are actually funded by supplement companies as well. So that, you know, it doesn't completely discount their findings, but it is something that I would look at with a high degree of reservation because as anyone will tell you, if something is funded or some scientists are being paid by the supplement that is in question, you're more likely to find positive results about that. It's just the way it is, unfortunately. Um, they're, they're very, very small in terms of the sample size as well. Um, the other thing is there isn't a comparison with what I would say is the gold standard. And the gold standard is consuming the same amount of that particular fruit or vegetable in its whole form. So just to put it into context, if I was to give you a powdered apple supplement that equates to one apple and measure the effects, that would be a really good study to determine whether the powder is equivocal or is in some way uh, equivocal to the whole food or not, or maybe even better, who knows? Um, and there isn't a study that looks at that because A, these are expensive and B, no one really stands to benefit from it. So 
Um, I would love to see a study where the nutrient bioavailability is actually compared between those two different forms of the same ingredient. So the studies give us an idea of the benefits, but we definitely need a lot more research to get a clearer picture as to which powder or type of powder has the best impact. I also want to talk a little bit about the processing effect. So to turn an ingredient into a powder involves a number of different steps. And depending on the quality of the manufacturer, they can take various pathways. So if you look at this diagram that shows manufacturing of a powder in form in the form of a flowchart, you have the steps including washing and then grinding and chopping or chopping, and then you blanch it and then you ferment it, uh, or plus or minus fermenting. Some people don't. And then there's either air drying or freeze drying, and they are vastly different processes. So depending on which one you use can have a different impact or uh, a, a measurable impact on the quality of the end product. And what happens when you process anything is that you're disrupting that natural microstructure. And as you talked, you probably heard us talk about in previous episodes, whether you smooth uh, an ingredient by putting it into a smoothie or you blanch it or saute or air fry it, it's going to have a measurable impact on, on the nutrients that you absorb from that, from that product. So there's an example actually looking at fresh broccoli sprouts with a broccoli sprout powder. Broccoli sprouts, as I've said earlier, are one of those ingredients that's having a moment. It's the highest uh, containing of sulforaphane, which is this anti-inflammatory phytochemical, this plant chemical. Um, but broccoli sprouts are relatively hard to come by. Um, you really got to get it fresh. You got to eat it at day three, which is where the sulforaphane is its highest. And it's probably more convenient to buy it in a sprout powder form. When they compared fresh broccoli sprouts with a powder, they found that the absorption of sulforaphane, which is the key ingredient that we're looking for, was actually lower when people consume broccoli sprout extract compared to fresh. And it could be because some of those compounds that are important for the absorption of sulforaphane are actually lost during the, the manufacturing process. So, you know, when you're drying these these foods, the, the key thing is to remove as much moisture as quickly as possible at a temperature that doesn't seriously affect the flavor, the texture, and the color of the food. And so depending on what type of processing you use, that can have an end, a, a, a measurable impact on the quality of that product. Researchers have actually looked at the best methods when it comes to preserving and improving the nutrient retention of dried products. And they found that chopping rather than grinding can retain more polyphenol and flavonoid content. Uh, drying methods using the lowest temperature possible, like freeze drying, are generally considered the best for retaining that nutritional value. And shorter drying times, so uh, exerting minimal processing on that ingredient, uh, can also produce a higher retention of phytochemicals and bioactive activity. A lot of these methods are not actually declared by the green powder manufacturer on their packaging or on their website. And if they do, you want to be looking out for freeze drying. There are a lot of caveats though, because freeze drying is 
whilst consider, it's considered optimal, it's a longer drying time and actually it consumes a lot of energy and therefore it's a lot more expensive as well. So it's almost like you're playing top trumps with the different degrees of processing depending on the green powder that you're opting for. And a lot of green powders don't even you know, go into how they process the, the ingredient to retain as much nutri nutrition as possible. So let's assume that you've made the decision to buy a green powder. You've opted for one that is freeze-dried, perhaps has some new, new nutritional uh, studies looking at the potential benefits and the bioavailability of the ingredients that you're consuming. It's got minimal ingredients, so it's going to be as high as dose as possible. So perhaps it's got broccoli extract in, it's got some white cabbage, it's got some spirulina, some kale, uh, some other sort of dark leafy vegetables, maybe seven or eight ingredients at max. Is it worth it still? Um, and it is hard for me to justify their cost. It's more expensive than whole fruits and vegetables that you buy in their purest unprocessed form because of the degree of processing to make it a convenient product. Um, you know, one serving of a popular green powder can be two, three pounds even. Whereas if you buy five portions of uh, spring greens, for example, it will cost less than a pound and you're getting a lot more nutrition from that. Um, so generally it's more uh, time and cost efficient to invest in buying quality ingredients rather than relying on a supplement. Uh, but I definitely see the appeal of the green powder. And like I said at the start of this, I'm a consumer of them as well, uh, but I've made the decision to first invest in my whole fruit and vegetable diet, then invest in supplements like omega-3, B vitamin complex, uh, and, and some other ones as well. And then green powders come down that list. So if you're already at that level and you've done the 80% that's going to yield 80% of the benefits, then this extra benefit potentially is, is worth it for you. Uh, an important caveat to that is that they cannot replace your fruits and vegetables as recommended by governments. Now, five a day is a, a big slogan. Everyone knows about it. You want to be getting close to 10 a day. That's what the optimum amount of fruit and vegetable consumption looks like. Um, and green powders might be a great convenient way to add extra nutrients, but they can't replace your daily fruit and vegetable consumption uh, requirements. Um, it's just they don't have the same microstructure. You're losing a lot in terms of the actual nutritional value. You're losing a lot of things like fiber and vitamin C that you would otherwise get from the whole ingredient. So it's important that you're aware of that. It's a supplement, not uh, something that you can use to replace the whole ingredient itself. So let's say you listen to this whole thing and you're still convinced by them. I've got a few tips to make sure you're getting maximal benefits. The first one, and it does... Uh, it, it is worth laboring the point. Use green powders to complement, not replace. Like I said, you can't replace your whole fruit and vegetables with it. It's not part of government guidelines. Um, and I would focus on enjoying foods in their raw or minimally processed state. Three things that help me try and get as much of the whole foods into my diet include thinking about just adding one more. So one more fruit, vegetable, nut, sweet at every mealtime, whether it's adding a handful of nuts or a side of greens or like a starter of green beans, for example, that's going to have a much bigger impact than a green powder. Um, using pre-chopped frozen vegetables, for example, that's something that helps me just sneak in more veggies at every mealtime. Um, and, you know, even 
uh, having a breakfast that is more savory would allow me to put more greens and more vegetables into my diet as well. Um, so that's the first one. Use green powders to complement, not replace. Number two, I'd focus on the other supplements that have a lot more evidence base for them. Vitamin D plus K2, omega-3 fatty acids, B vitamin complex. I would listen to my other podcast on supplements not to waste your money on uh, if you want more details on those. Number three, I would do some research about the actual green powder that you're consuming. So a lot of the claims on packaging around NG and weight loss and immune health and all that kind of stuff are not grounded in science, unfortunately. I'd love to say that they are, especially as a consumer of green powders myself, but I would I would just hasten caution because there is not evidence that I've seen in allowing for those claims to be made. Watch out for proprietary blends because I don't think they reveal anything. And I would opt to uh, go for freeze-dried. Inquire about the drying method. Um, you know, if they fail to reveal that they are freeze-dried, the likelihood is that they are not freeze-dried. And freeze-drying is generally better for quality of retention of those ingredients, but it does come at a higher price point. Um, I would look at the ingredients list as well. So you want to be avoiding things like sugar, caffeine, sugar, uh, sweeteners that are, uh, you know, tend to be irritant to the gut. Um, I would uh, also opt for less ingredients rather than more. So if, if a powder has 80 ingredients in, just think about it. If the dose is a tablespoon and it has 80 ingredients in, that means that a particular ingredient, let's just assume that it's all a, a, in the equivalent ratio. It's all one to one to one. You're going to have such a small dose of each individual ingredient that the effect size is going to be negligible. And the amount that you're consuming, as diverse as it is, is not really going to have that much of an impact. So I would say less is more. Go for key ingredients dark green leafy vegetables, broccoli sprouts, looking for ingredients in their whole form rather than specific phytochemicals that they've pulled out of the whole ingredient. That's what I'd be looking for as well. Um, they are, you know, having said everything about green powders, they are particularly relevant for people if they don't like the taste of vegetables and they can't stand it. Or like me, if you travel a lot and you want something to just top up your your nutritional um the nutritional value of your food when you're on the go, that's kind of when I see the the value of green powders uh, or dehydrated fruits and vegetables in general. Uh, but otherwise, I wouldn't rely on them as your source of nutrition solely. So I hope that has given you some useful information about how you can navigate this increasingly complex world of choosing a green powder if you even choose to consume a green powder yourself. It's completely up to you. I personally do. I opt for one that is freeze-dried, it is super expensive, but I always focus on my whole food diet and the other supplements before a green powder or investing in the green powder. I'm going to do another video where I taste test a bunch of the most popular green powders and we dive into their processing methodology, the number of ingredients that they have and the absence or inclusion of any clinical studies that they have. So I'll catch you there next time.
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Doctor's Kitchen Podcast. Remember, you can support the pod by rating on Apple, follow along by hitting the subscribe button on Spotify, and you can catch all of our podcasts on YouTube if you enjoy seeing our smiley faces. Review show notes on the doctorskitchen.com website and sign up to our free weekly newsletters where we do deep dives into ingredients, the latest nutrition news, and of course, lots of recipes by subscribing to the Eat, Listen, Read newsletter by going to thedoctorskitchen.com forward slash newsletter. And if you're looking to take your health further, why not download the Doctor's Kitchen app for free from the App Store? I will see you here next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 